someone did say suggest we start here a U.S. Per Force Academy. <laughs> so we'll just induct you all tonight. Uh, we are. It's a delight to be able to share for just a few minutes and uh, numbers of people here. I recognize your faces and uh, at least your, your faces look familiar to me. Uh, my wife's, for example. <laughs> I was once one of the more embarrassing moments of my ministry career was a few years ago when I began to talk about my wife back home in the uh, I forgot the name of our town, <laughs> and it was just right on the. I mean, I I was so embarrassed. I I said, and you know, you I started stalling, uh, talking about my wife back home with our two beautiful daughters back in, uh, and they're wonderful daughters, and they're uh, back in, and uh, finally I I just I was so embarrassed. I said, folks, I have to confess, I. I cannot remember the name of our town. <laughs> I said, and I, I should know it because my wife lives there. Uh, that's when we lived in Valencia, California, and it just slipped my mind. But I can remember where we live now because it's right here, Colorado Springs. I want to share with you for a few minutes this evening, and not a long time, I could spend uh, a better part of a, of a day just going through some of the thoughts I'm going to be sharing with you for a few moments tonight. Uh, in fact, I leave early in the morning and share most of all day tomorrow in a setting on strategic level prayer as it relates to world evangelization in Phoenix uh, tomorrow, and then speak three times on Sunday, fly immediately home, and then catch a plane with uh, Dee and as we fly to London and have the privilege, of, a lot of things are happening that week, but to be in the March for Jesus, which is sort of the headquarters March for Jesus. If you know anything about the Marches for Jesus, I think they anticipate as many as 75,000 people uh, walking through the streets of London singing praise songs and declaring the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, it's appropriate that I would even refer to something like that march because something indeed I believe happens in the heavenlies when we take physical authority like that, <clears throat> something transpires that we can't always explain. And uh, my brother and fellow National Prayer Committee member, Lee Brace, I had heard me share some thoughts last, I think last November, a year ago, uh, on contending for the nation's or laying siege to a city or a geographic region through our prayers. And our ministry, Every Home for Christ, for many years has published a world prayer map and uh, have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these circulated. We're about out of the edition that we've had now for uh, several years and need to print another one shortly because of all the changes that have taken place as the result of a lot of your prayers, by the way. Uh, there's about 23 new countries now that would be added to the map because of what's taken place alone in the old Soviet Union, which is going to be a focus of your prayer over this weekend. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the principles that I'm going to be sharing in the next few minutes, uh, I believe the Lord will allow you to use in laying siege to the map 
Uh, this is going to be the map of the, the old Soviet Union, the Commonwealth of Independent States. <clears throat> and uh, I want to give you just a little bit of background. First, let me tell you just a simple illustration that I read some years ago that uh, is told of the great missionary, often called the father of modern, modern mission, missions, even though there were literally several hundred Moravian missionaries sent out long before William Carey actually went to India. But when William Carey was a young man, very brilliant, by the way, I think before the age of 16, could speak fluent Latin and Hebrew, and I don't know if there were any other languages that he spoke, but a brilliant young man. And he worked in, I, he, I describe him as an assistant shoe cobbler. I believe his father was actually the owner of that shoe shop. But he worked in that uh, shoe shop, and it is said that he began as a young man with a burden for the nations and a desire to understand them, began to collect pieces of leather, and uh, through these little discarded pieces of leather formed a, a leather globe. And they say that with Indian ink and having made a couple of trips to the best library in their community, I believe they're in Bristol in England, he took that the pen and with the, the Indian ink uh, marked out the continents as they knew it at that time. And then they say he began to pray over that globe that he had fashioned. At least tradition tells us, or as the story goes, that he prayed for that over a number of years in his young life, and over the years, and even in his preparation for ministry, as he prayed over uh, that crude leather globe, the, the day actually came when they say his tears began to erode some of the markings of the continents. We do know this. We know that numbers of years later, God took William Carey to one of those distant places in India where we all know were the initial significant planting the seeds of the good news there. We wonder about praying over a map. I have prayed over a map in my personal daily life experience now for about 18 years. Uh, I didn't intend to tell you this little part, but about 18 years ago in December, uh, I was overwhelmed with a burden. I never knew I would work with a ministry called Every Home for Christ that has a stated vision, a vision statement of working with all the body of Christ to take a message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to every home in a nation and ultimately to every home in the whole world. And that's a rather ambitious goal. But I like what Dwight L. Moody said over a hundred years ago concerning the Great Commission. It, uh, it can be done. Uh, it, it ought to be done. No, it, it, it ought, let's see, it, well, how do you say the first thing? It can be done. It ought to be done. It must be done. I believe that's the way. I might have got the order mixed up there, but, for years, we have made the statement, it can be done. And we believe that we've got to take the Great Commission literally. you believe that? So you've got to find a way to do it. And so we've been involved in this. But going back now 18 years ago, I had no idea that I would be involved in the leadership of this particular ministry. But uh, uh, we were getting ready to go on a trip up to, uh, we were in Sacramento, California at the time, up to Portland, Oregon to visit uh, Dee's uh, sister and brother-in-law, and when we, she, I, she didn't know I had done this, but when she brought the girls to get out, uh, to get in the car to leave on the trip, 
she noticed a map of the world scotch taped to the steering wheel. <laughs> and she said, what on earth is that for? And I said, well, I feel the Lord wants me to pray for the nations every day, and I feel that going up 10 or 11 hours driving up and coming back, that that ought to be enough time for me to, to commit those nations to my mind and memory. And uh, that's what happened that week. And uh, I didn't intend on telling you this, but up till this day, this afternoon, after I left the office and went home to our little prayer, I call it a prayer chapel, and my wife always says, come on, tell them what it really is. It's kind of a closet underneath the staircase, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's my little prayer room where, again, I lifted every one of those nations before the Lord, including uh, a whole bunch of new ones that about uh, two years ago uh, uh, have been saturated in my thinking, too, the, uh, in the CIS, which you'll be praying for. I believe strongly the degree to which you believe this book is true and the degree to which you believe God answers prayer is the degree to which you will pray very specific prayers. If you believe this is true, you will pray for the nations. And I am convinced that in a certain sense the Lord has allowed us the delight of being involved in some process of the evangelization of the nations because of those prayers. But when I think of the theme or the thought of laying siege to the nations or any geographic region using a map, I think immediately of Ezekiel. Now, I don't know if any of you others have the habit that I've had uh, for quite a number of years also of reading through a certain number of chapters of the Bible each day during your prayer time so that you go through the whole Bible uh, each year. And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand if you do that too, but some of you will know what I'm talking about. And you'll also agree that sometimes you miss things. And you may read through the Bible 15 years in a row and miss something. And do you know, I'm telling you, as God in heaven is my witness, I imagine that, that it's not an exaggeration, probably 10, 12, maybe, maybe even 15 years of reading the Bible through. There's some parts of the Bible, by the way, that are not the easiest parts to understand. Frankly, can anybody relate to this? Someone asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood the theory of relativity, and she smiled and said, no, not at all. But I understand Albert, and he can be trusted. <laughs> and so there are parts of the Bible. In fact, when I get to the first few chapters of Chroni you know, First Chronicles, you know, I mean, it's just... I remember when our youngest daughter, about 10 years ago, was reading through the Bible, tried to, one year, and was in the Living Bible. One day I said, Ginger, how are you doing your Bible reading? And she said, oh, not very good. I said, what's the problem? She said, well, they're having a lot of babies. <laughs> she was reading through the Living Bible. Yeah, just pages of having babies. And finally I figured out what she was talking about. When I come to First Chronicles, I, I, I still do this, and I rarely tell it, but your family. So you can tell by the typeset that people are begatting each other. You can just tell. It's, you look at your Bible, you can tell the typeset's different. So I'll just run my fingers down saying, oh, God bless you people as you begat each other. <laughs> Hallelujah. Boy, bless you. And then suddenly you see something that you know is different. You read it. Now, I would read through Ezekiel and there's a lot of things I didn't understand. I would just thank God that I wasn't Ezekiel and had to do some of the things he did. He was told to eat a scroll. He was told to cut his hair and divide it into three different parts and do different things with it. He was told to stamp his feet against the evil abominations of the house of Israel. All kinds of stuff like that. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 4, which is the foundational verse 
that I want to leave you with in just these few minutes together. Ezekiel chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and I'm just going to read portions of this, and then go into some of the things that God says to Ezekiel. God says to Ezekiel, Now, son of man, take a clay tablet, put it in front of you. Now, that in itself speaks of focus. I want you to concentrate on this, and, and I want you to be focused. And draw the city of Jerusalem on it, then lay siege to it. It's extremely important to understand in the process of what I'm about to share with you over just a few minutes, that never at any time is Ezekiel told to directly address the actual city of Jerusalem. In this case, it's the map itself. He's specifically to do certain things directed against a map that he draws. Now, they could not go to a uh, some kind of stationery store or bookstore and purchase a map. They could not, as you will have either tonight or tomorrow, uh, be distributed a map of the old Soviet Union uh, and now the Commonwealth of Independent States and look at it. Uh, and, and so the Lord said to him, I want you to take what's equivalent today to a piece of paper or parchment, and I want you to sketch on it as best you can a map of Jerusalem, and then I want you to lay siege to the map. Now, before I share with you some of the things that the Lord instructed Ezekiel to do, let me share with you a, just a simple threefold definition of siege, because in that uh, we see three very key aspects of what a siege is. First of all, the, the word siege, which incidentally comes in our English language from the Latin sidere, meaning to sit, and you'll see that's very significant in just a moment. But the word siege in the evolution of its, its definition means, first of all, the surrounding and blockading of a town or fortress by an enemy bent on capturing it. The surrounding and blockading of a town or fortress by an enemy bent on or committed to capturing it. The second definition, which is also very critical, is a prolonged period, a prolonged period. I think of all the prayer that went up for many years for what was taking place in the old Soviet Union. It didn't just happen overnight. There might have been some things that caused a breaking to take place 36 months ago or so. But the fact is, it took place over a prolonged period. Thirdly, this is from, if you were to look up the word siege in any dictionary, you'd find this listed as an ancient definition. And uh, it's not used much today, but the word siege means a seat of rule or a throne. My wife, who's an avid reader, was telling me that she had read some books about uh, ancient uh, British culture and uh, English life and how sometimes they would refer even to the their king as my siege means a place or a position of authority, a seat of rule. It's equivalent to like your, your royal highness, your royal highness exalted. 
And so we understand when we see the, uh, that we get this word from the, the Latin word sidiri, to sit, that it, that where the king sits is the throne, and that represents a place of authority. Now begin to think in terms, in fact, uh, uh, let me just share with you, looking at these three definitions, uh, three thoughts that come to my mind. Uh, uh, in fact, it's just in three simple words about what I see from these definition of, uh, definitions of siege. First of all, the surrounding and blockading of a, a town or a fortress that you're committed to capture, the very, very, the very fact that you're, that you're surrounding and, and, and you're blockading implies a strategy. So one of the first things we need to recognize in laying siege to anything is that there's going to be a strategy that's given, even a prayer strategy. Uh, right now I've been asked to share as a chairman of uh, uh, a very, in fact I'm, I'm overwhelmed of how this is expanding called Praying Through the Window, a campaign in October of this year which initially we set out to mobilize, with, had a goal of a million intercessors who would at some point fast and pray during the month of October of this year. We anticipated that uh, many believers would fast one day or a portion of a day a week. Uh, others would, might fast more than that. And uh, that they would pray each day using a very simple guide uh, featuring the different countries of the what's called the 1040 window, which we've heard so much about, that geographic region in the world uh, that where 97%, I believe, of the least evangelized peoples of the world actually live. But that's not the only region of the world we ought to be focusing on. But uh, we received a report the other day that now house churches in China alone through shortwave radio out of Hong Kong, they anticipate and have some backup to substantiate their claims of numbers that they anticipate 15 million Chinese are going to be participating, praying for the 1040 window. They now estimate from very reliable sources as many as 5 million Christians in Africa alone. I tell you, I get excited about what could happen. Anybody who believes God answers prayer, you get the feeling, my, something good might be about to happen. And... Uh, uh, what I, I see is the significance of the laying siege, uh, having a strategy and a plan to come against these forces of darkness. But not only that, but there is the, su the suggestion in the expression a prolonged period of duration. It's not going to happen overnight. Now, I believe even what's going to take place in October of this year regarding that region that I referred to is the result of an awful lot of prayer that has gone on for quite a number of years as some very committed intercessors. By the way, now I think there probably is close to a hundred or more teams of intercessors from different churches and prayer networks that are physically going to some of these 1040 window countries right to some of the most prominent shrines and spiritual symbols of Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. I saw a report just the other day of some of the things that are taking place, and I mean, it just blew me away. I absolutely couldn't believe it. I, you know, I think the enemy is getting a little anxious. But it's, it takes time. In other words, it's not just God bless the old Soviet Union or God bless the Commonwealth of Independent States. It's a commitment 
to begin with a strategy to prayerfully uh, come against the forces of darkness in these regions. The third thing, when you see the expression of seed of rule, speaks of authority. And there's something of an, an, uh, an increasing boldness and authority that I sense when I'm in prolonged prayer times with people. And it's tremendously exciting to see that boldness mount. I've noticed something too, by the way. We have an annual, I mean, we have a monthly day of prayer in our ministry and happen to just have that day of prayer. My, so many things have happened. I was going to say a few days ago, that was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> and, uh, to watch how you start over the first couple of hours and it's just really nice prayers. And then all of a sudden there comes an authority. When we were about to move from, uh, 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 Southern California, our office was in Chatsworth, and uh, I've just finished a few days ago uh, the major draft of a new book, and now I'm going through it again, and I hope to get it to the publishers by the end of the summer, and I tell this illustration in it because I'll never, ever forget this boldness of authority in prayer. Uh, we had gathered, I, in fact, I have yet to, I want to go back in my diary and find the exact date. I know for a fact it was our day of prayer for the month of February of 1991. I remember that clearly. And I just don't remember in my mind right now the exact day that was. <clears throat> our building had been on the market in Chatsworth in the San Fernando Valley for at least six to seven months. I think we had put it on uh, around uh, August, uh, September, or maybe it was October, and uh, we had not had a single, no one came to look at the building. Not a single person. No, no, you know, no company. Big old sign out in front. And uh, I think in our short little street, Sunburst Street, there must have been out of about six or seven buildings, I think about four of them had for sale signs on them. And I just had this feeling the others looked better than ours. You know, I don't think that was necessarily true, but, and probably were cheaper. And you get that feeling. And I remember the morning, that morning very well, because at 8.30 we began to pray on our day of prayer, and different ones were praying. And basically, we had been praying most of that time. We pray for different things related to the ministry, and then all kinds of issues the Holy Spirit would bring to our minds. But as we were praying that morning, I, my recollection was most of the prayer in that 90 minutes had been for different members of our staff who had committed to move. Now we were moving to Colorado Springs from the, that area, and uh, the board had approved it, and... Our houses were all up for sale, and uh, only one had had an offer on their house, and actually their house was sold out of uh, a whole bunch of people that had to sell their houses. Most of our prayer was for people's houses. And then all of a sudden, someone started praying. And by the way, in, interspersed in that was prayer for a lot of different things, for the nations, you know, what God, we write revival in America, and uh, uh, but, but only in the course of about an hour and a half. It was about five minutes to ten, or ten minutes to ten, when someone began to pray for the sale of our building there on Sunburst Avenue. And I'll never, ever forget that, because it started out with, oh God, we really feel as intercessors, and there are numbers of intercessors that had come and joined our staff for prayer, that it is God's will for this ministry to move. And we, be, and we know now, we've heard it already as a prayer request, that the ministry can't move without selling this building. And the prayer was just kind of moving along like that, you know. Uh, Lord, you know who the buyer is. You know who the buyer is. In fact, you, you, you can look. It was just an interesting prayer. You can look right now and see where that buyer is. And then all of a sudden came the most weird shift in the prayer. Lord, I know you see where the buyer is. 
Lord, I believe that buyer's out looking right now. Lord, I believe that buyer's near this building. And the next thing you're just saying, I want to say holy cow, but you don't, you're just saying, the next thing you hear is, Lord, that buyer is near this building and I call that buyer to this building. And then the next thing was what just, you know, you said, it, it was so measurable. I mean, no, you could not have a more measurable prayer. The next statement was, I command the buyer to come into the building now. You know, so I'm saying, wow, this is, you know, so anyway, we're all, and this was interesting, is there, there are other intercessors, yes, amen, you know, like, and then they're, you know, they have this look on their face, you know, and so Virginia, the wife of our director for many, many years of the uh, Philippines, a brilliant brother who then we brought into our international office, Faustino Rivavar, his wife, Virginia, uh, our staff would come and go. And uh, so Virginia stood and left, and she was gone. This was uh, about two minutes to ten. She, she could not have been gone three minutes. Uh, and all of a sudden, she was back in the room. We were all still praying, and she comes over to me and taps me on the shoulder. Very quiet person says, Brother Dick, I thought you'd think this would be interesting. She said, I walked by the switchboard, which is the way she had to go to get back to her desk, and she said, uh, there's an old man there with two, it looks like maybe his son and daughter or a, or a young couple anyway. And she said, I just heard him say to the switchboard, I notice your building's for sale. Is there anybody that I could that could show us around? We're just driving in the neighborhood. Well, to make a long story short, <laughs> they're the only ones that ever looked. And they bought it. And it closed a few months later. Now, I didn't intend to, to share that at all, but it had to do with something of moving from just an ordinary, please, Lord, we need this, do this, to something of a supernatural, energized prayer of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't explain that. It gives me goosebumps when I think about these things. But let me just share with you quickly five things that Ezekiel is told to do. And I am going to share them quickly. Now, all of these are listed in the scriptures there, but to give you a comment on each of these and perhaps a key word. Number one, build a fort against it. Again, not against Jerusalem, but against the map. Now, the Hebrew word for fort means a watchtower. In fact, the New English Bible translates it, watchtower. A watchtower is a place from which to observe. Now, I know that there are various other translations uh, that you see, uh, it, depending on the translation you have. Some translate it siege works, some siege wall. It comes from the Hebrew word deyeg. And as I looked at the word in the New English Bible and was studying the root as it's related the root of this in the Hebrew. I, I really felt watchtower was a, a wise way to translate it, and a watchtower is a place from which to observe. Uh, Jesus didn't just commission or command his disciples to pray, but he said, "Watch and pray." There was something of an element of needing to know what you're praying for. What is your focus? Do you understand uh, the nature of what the battle is? And so in this case, I would say we need to pray for accurate intelligence. 
Our brother George Otis Jr. speaks frequently of targeting coordinates. It helps us to know what we're praying for. I think it's George Otis, I don't know if he's quoting someone else, but shares about during the Persian Gulf War. You know, remember old Saddam Hussein, he's still over there by the way, remember him? He would, they would, he would launch a Scud missile, true, true, and then turn on CNN to see where it landed. See? Now, the Americans had smart bombs. We let these babies go, and they would say, what address do you want me to go to? And, and I mean, it would be programmed to go to a certain address and go down the chimney. And which kind of, uh, of uh, tactical weapon would produce more damage against the enemy? And so it helps us to know what we're up against in our praying. And to do that, we have to have, in fact, the key word for this point is observation. The key word is observation. We need to pray for accurate intelligence. We, we need to know what we're praying for. And that's why we want to begin to glean information. Second thing is cast up a mount against it. Again, not against the city of Jerusalem, but against the map. Because the Lord is saying... Before I work my will over Jerusalem, you must declare it over this map. Very important. Cast up a mount against it. A mount here is an incline up the wall. It's a rise or a way built up for warriors to follow. Picture an ancient city in ancient Israel that had high walls. Move up and conquer that. Well, one of the ways was to build a a ramp, or to build a rise, an incline up the wall, so cast up a mount against it. That's why the New English Bible translates it a siege ramp. A siege ramp. Interestingly, when you, when, when you read Isaiah chapter 62, if you're noting Scripture passages, Isaiah chapter 62, verses, uh, verse 6, first of all, uh, in Isaiah 62, uh, says, I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. You that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. Give him no rest. The latter part of the passage says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, lift up a standard over the peoples. In other words, prepare a way to begin to move in and claim what God wants, what God wants us to claim. Cast up a mount against it. How would I apply this in a spiritual sense if the key word for the first thing is observation? I would say the key word for this is instruction. You say, what do you mean? We need to pray for the adequate preparation of the troops. Uh, that's why you're here this weekend, by the way. You, you, you wouldn't think of this, but you're, the very nature of what you're doing, at least in the learning process, and by the way, a lot of our learning comes through actually doing it, but you are casting up a mount in a sense that there's preparation that's going on through instruction. And so instruction is something very key. By the way, I, in some of the books that are out today, it's absolutely amazing uh, to, you know, I'm, I've been a part of things like the Spiritual Warfare Network, and one time I went to one of their, their meetings, there were about 25 people there, and I walked away with 15 new books, I think. And I mean, that may be a lot. It's like, you know, you, you might feel overwhelmed, but the training that's going on, obviously the Lord is preparing the troops. And I'm excited about this. Of course, the danger is that all we do is consume ourselves with getting more knowledge. Sooner or later, we've got to go apply it. The third thing is set up a camp against it. Now, this is very interesting to me. To set up a camp means a position from which to operate. As I was 
studying this and meditating on this thought, set up a camp against it, I started doing, as any of you might do if you're trying to see, what, what might this be saying? Well, I'm going to look at what the Hebrew word means. I'm going to look at what other Bible translators who really understood the language translate it. And uh, you'll notice that I've highlighted here several times the New English Bible. I found that to be uniquely insightful in this particular passage. Except when I came to New English Bible, I, it, you know, a, a, new, a newer translation is supposed to help you, you know? You read it and it's supposed to change words that, you know, are kind of archaic. And so when I read in the New English Bible, put mantlets in position, I said, get serious. I mean, put, I asked my wife what's a mantlet. I don't, I don't know if she even knows to this day. Uh, but no one I asked knew what a mantlet was. And I sure didn't. Now, there's got to be a scholar here amongst us that knows what a mantlet is, but I won't embarrass anybody here, all of you that wouldn't know. Uh, but I thought, you know, set up a mantlet. So I began to search in the dictionary for the word mantlet and discovered that a mantlet, and this is interesting to me, it's the old King James Version trans translates it, set up a camp against it, but a mantlet is a movable shelter used as a protection when attacking. So, in a sense, it might be like a huge shield, but it's, it's kind of more than that. By the way, the newest, I mean, the, uh, the, a definition that would most relate to society today would be the definition, any of various bulletproof shelters or screens. Uh, when you see riot police, I don't know whether they actually use the word mantlet to, de to, de to de describe their shields they have, but when it's a large movable, uh, uh, protective uh, shield, uh, it is a mantlet. You know, it's interesting to me when I see this set up a camp against it and I think of something that can move and then move into position. I think today of some of those that are going to different and dif distance, distant places to, uh, to position themselves even closer to the point of the actual battle, spiritually. And I, I think of those teams even this October that are going in prayer. I think of what's happened in the old Soviet Union. I remember groups like YWAM, and there may have been others like OM, that went in ex almost exclusively 10 and 12 years ago to pray. Go in by any means. We uh, Back in 1988, we took a team of teenagers, young people, to go into the uh, Eastern Europe just to pray. We got to Bucharest, Romania. We had talked to believers. We wept with believers of Romania at that time over the hurt they were experiencing through the rulership, the dictatorship of Nikolai Ceausescu and his wife Elena. And I can, our two daughters were part of that team of about 20 teenagers and and I can, I can remember their, their tears and their brokenness. I can remember one night Dina, who's now moved here in, in the community with us, and I can, I can remember the tears in her eyes and her, like she was saying to me, Dad, you gotta do something. It's not fair. It's not fair. She was seeing the conditions and just broken by what, what, and all the young people by what they saw. We'd take, we chartered a bus. We went in as tourists, obviously, and, and chartered a bus and went, 
from one side of Romania along the main highway to the other, and often we'd reach out our hands as the bus would go by villages and pray that they'd have access to the gospel. We'd go into parks and pray. We got into Bucharest, Romania. We told our communist tour guide that we wanted a whole day off just to walk around downtown. We really wanted to pray. wanted to have some prayer walks. We came to the big communist headquarters of the Communist Party of Romania, and we kind of looked at each other and looked at that block-long building, that huge building, and Someone remembered Joshua and Jericho, and we knew what we had to do. And so seven times around that building we went and prayed. How many believe you can pray with your eyes wide open, smiling? We command you to come down in Jesus' name. But we prayed, and the following year we saw that building in flames. We saw Nikolai Ceausescu give his last speech from in front of that building. That's from in front of that building. Young people started tearing out the communist emblem from the center of the Romanian flag. You don't, you don't think that had an impact on some of those young people? One night, a few days later, they were lowering a great big statue of Lenin in downtown Romania. And our daughter Ginger sat beside me and I noticed tears started to come down her eyes. And she said, Daddy... We marched around that and prayed it would come down. I never thought it would really come down. <laughs> oh, goodness, so many. I, in fact, it's funny when I think of those cranes lowering the, <clears throat> the statue of Lenin. I mean, just after communism really fell in the old Soviet Union, they were, they were taking down so many of these statues, they ran out of cranes. And in, in a great big statue of Lenin in, in a big square, I believe, in Kiev, they had a sign in Russian or Ukrainian a great big government official sign on the statue that said, we are sorry for any temporary inconvenience. You know, I just hadn't had time to get a crane out there yet, and people were upset. But to move into position, and we see this of intercessors today, and it's exciting. Then, number four, it says, set battering rams against it. Now, by the way, the key word for camp is position. In fact, if you want a good passage... Uh, to, to just note, Second Chronicles 20, the whole passage about verses 1 through 22, you know that's the passage where the Lord says, stand still and see what I'll do. Uh, you don't have to fight. I'm going to fight your battle. But then in verse 17 of, first, of Second Chronicles 20, it says, position yourselves. Take up your position. And by the way, you know what the position really was? It was a position of praise. Because when you begin to move into the rest of that passage, they're all standing around. The Bible does not say they asked God what to do. The Bible says they communed amongst themselves and they determined to send singers into the battle. I, I think they're standing around saying, my, we're, we're not to fight. We've got to do something. My, if God's going to win this, huh? What? God's going to win it. What? Hey, let's praise Him. That's it. Praise Him. And they knew something. And we know the rest of the story from Second Chronicles chapter 20. But set battering rams against it. Set battering rams against it. Now, a battering, by the way, it says set battering rams against it all around. That is really significant. Come at it from every angle. Now, by the way, a battering ram was a huge beam of wood. Great, you know, great big, like one of these huge trees. Great big beam. On chains, in a movable tower, and what did they do with it? They didn't just go up and pull that great big beam back and let it go once and the wall fell. Now this doesn't, I know, we look at the lesson of Jericho. That's a whole other lesson. 
the miraculous, inter- miraculous intervention of the presence of God that comes after a strategy has been obeyed that he has given his people. Now, but look at this prolonged period. Look at this laying siege faithfully and what the Lord says to, to Ezekiel. This, when I, when I began to meditate on a battering ram and thought about it, suddenly it, it just it occurred to me it represented a, a hammering away. And I think of 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, which at the heart of that is just don't give up. Obviously doesn't mean be on your knees 24 hours a day. Ephesians 6.18, after we put on all the armor and after we, we go into battle, well, what is the battle? The Bible says praying always. Praying always with all prayer. So prayer is actually the battle. It's the battlefield. We don't put on armor just to boast about our armor. We put on armor to go into battle. And what I began to think about this, this hammering away, a key word came to me that if you didn't understand the essence of what I'm suggesting here, uh, you, you might even question it. But the key word is repetition. Some people say, no, Dick, don't you read your Bible? Jesus said you're never to repeat a prayer. Well, I have news for you. Jesus did not say you're to never repeat a prayer. He did say, use not the old King James Version. I like it. What does it say? What kind of repetition? Vain. Vain means empty. No meaning. And that would mean prayer outside the name of Jesus. Like the prayer wheels of the Tibetan Buddhists that have little chiseled names, thousands of them of demonic gods, and they spin those, and it's outside the name of Jesus. There's no value in that. It doesn't mean you can't repeat a prayer, because if that's the case, then look at Jesus himself, who repeated essentially five times in John 17 that his disciples would be one. Didn't he have enough faith to believe it the first time he asked it? In Matthew 26, it says, and he went and prayed, this is great, went and prayed again the third time using the same words. I bet that's a surprise to some of us that that's actually in there. Uh, you know, Jesus did it. I, I pray, yesterday, I prayed for the nations of the world, one after another. Today I did it again. Tomorrow I'm going to do it again. And a thousand demons can line up and say, hey, you prayed the same thing yesterday. And I'll tell them, yes, and I'm going to pray the same thing tomorrow. Until those strongholds fall. I'm not going to give up on this. Because I don't believe it's vain. I believe it's prayer prayed in the power of the name of Jesus. Now, repetition can be key when we're hammering away, and that's part of the siege. Well, the last thing is set up a wall of iron between you and it. What on earth does that mean? The old King James Version says, set up an iron pan. I think of Ezekiel 22.30, I sought from man among them to make up the hedge and Stand in the gap before me for, in this case, for the land. When I meditated on this a lot, I realized that more than ever before, we need as intercessors and and also very much as leaders, we need protection and we need those intercessors that by their very nature of praying for us form that iron pan. They raise up that shield. And I can't tell you how desperately we need that. I don't have more time tonight to share with you illustrations from our past experience where I've been absolutely convinced that we have been protected from a host of horrible things that the enemy would have tried to bring against us 
but because people prayed, we have seen miracles. And I'm convinced even these days that the things that the thing that keeps me going are the prayers of God's people, intercessors. We have thousands of them that would pray for our ministry or see our picture on our world prayer map. But then we have a small band. For us, it's about 40 intercessors that we can share almost anything with that we know, we know we'll get up in the night and pray. We know it. And they often do. They'll call us or they'll fax us and tell us that, that this is what the Lord showed us last fall. I did not know on a particular day of what I was going to encounter. One of the hardest battles that I fought probably in my are almost 30 years of the night before I received a phone call. I don't even know how this intercessor got our home phone number, but had our home phone number from someone and called and said, in fact, I, I happened to have a little portable phone. I was in that little prayer room. And so it caught me right in the point of prayer and began to share. It didn't take a long time. That's what I appreciate. It wasn't just, you know, a long on and on thing. Oh, the Lord told me this and that. Very simple and succinct. But you're going to encounter a battle in the next 24 hours. And the Lord gave me this passage. He wouldn't, he wouldn't believe it. And the only way it would even have all its significance to you is if I would take the time to explain all the details of what transpired the following day, which would ha I'd have to go back to explain previous details, not knowing that something was going to happen, that for a time I would say, I don't know if I can make it through this. And yet that intercessor had called to say, you will. And I want, you know the scripture, there's a scripture somewhere in the Old Testament. Let's read it and you'll find it. Uh, that says God can turn, God turned the curse into a blessing. And I watched how he did that. I was absolutely amazed. And that took a period of two to three months to watch that unfold. And I looked back and I remembered that intercessor who was in that moment the iron wall or the iron pan that stepped in as an intercessor to head off what the enemy might do in just plain discouragement and other things to make mistakes in, in judgments and all kinds of things. And anybody that's in a position of leadership knows that these things can happen. And then watch how the Lord blessed and how the Lord guided. And you know what? She, this intercessor didn't just say, hey, the Lord gave me this scripture. But he called me to prayer for you. Called me to prayer. I've had other things like that happen just this year. And so I can stand before you and tell you that I believe God honors it when intercessors recognize they're to be a part of that prayer shield. Our, our friend Peter Wagner, Dr. Peter Wagner, has a, a book out called Prayer Shield. And I thank God for, I, you know, I have regular fellowship with Bernie Kuyper, a pastor of a very blessed church here in our community, that they have four members of their pastoral staff, and all seven of them have 28 different intercessors in four groups of seven. And they meet with them every they meet with them every Saturday morning, a different group of seven for four. And that, and I mean, and all they do is form a prayer shield around their leadership. And I tell you, I, I thank God for the way people are being led to recognize the importance of prayer. Well, where do we go from here? Folks, listen, God wants us to recognize that when we take something like a piece of paper or a map and we lay our hands on it or we hold it before him, and we begin to pray, and we ask Him to help us pray that something is happening in the heavenlies over those regions. 
And as you begin to say, Holy Spirit, I, I don't understand this much, but show me how to pray. And you just let just let your mind open up to the whole, you know, people say, boy, you shouldn't do that. You know, a demon might sneak in. I, you know, I just say, come on. You think God, you know, we open up. Oh, God, touch me. I open up to you. And he's not powerful enough to, <laughs> a demon sneaks in ahead of him. You know, I just get serious. And you, you just say, Lord, open up my understanding. And you begin to see and understand that you're to pray for something. And you begin to pray for that region. You have, you may have never have any idea of the significance of what may be happening through your prayers in that moment. But by the way, having said what I just said about that, that's why you've got to live in the Word. That's why God gave us this book. Saturate your thinking in it because that'll help you know. You know, you hear, you hear a lot of things and I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what He's given us as a standard to measure everything that's happening. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you for these few moments. I pray that you'd bless the rest of what transpires tonight and in the whole weekend, Lord, as we lay siege, especially to the old Soviet Union, especially as we pray for what you're doing through commission. What a delight, Lord, to see another banding together of those that care about the lost and the communication of truth. And Lord, that you'll honor that through the prayers of this very weekend. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.